0: Speaking of Reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another podcast from Speaking of Reliability. My name is Chris Jackson.
1: And I'm Diana Deaney. Hi, Chris.
0: Hi Diana, and we were going to launch into a conversation about sedentary inertia in the reliability and quality world.
1: <laughs> I, I love this. I love the topic.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think title. a lot of less a lot of listeners know what it means. Um, <laughs> yeah, without us having to explain it.
1: Well, do you think we should explain it just for thirty seconds?
0: Sure. Well, inertia is essentially, you know, the. uh a very Newtonian definition of or characteristic of a body in space. <laughs> if, it's, if it's moving, it wants to stay moving. And if it's not moving, it wants to stay still. So um, where well, you have kinetic inertia or moving inertia, that's fantastic. And that, that sort of just is a good analogy for people who are always wanting to push the envelope in a good way. They can't slow down. They can't, they can't accept the status quo. They always want to be moving um, and improving, and then there is sedentary inertia, and we know those people, those people who have always done it this way, or who have spent their entire career being the only one who can interpret what seems to be the the godlock godlike standard for this particular technology. <laughs> and every single change requires either one more effort on their behalf or two them to be pushed outside their confidence, uh, sorry comfort zone. And so nothing ever changes. Did I nail it? Or do you need to fill in the blanks?
1: No, I think you nailed it. And, and plus some. <laughs> it sounds like you've had yeah. some personal experience with this.
0: Well, I think we all have. Um, yeah. But, um, and I think,
1: and sorry, you, know, you go. Yeah. And, I, you know, quality people tend to get a bad rap and a re- bad reputation for being the sedentary inertia person. Who doesn't want to change the status quo? Uh, you know, uh-huh. We've got this system set up and it's working and we can monitor things. Uh, why would we want to change it? Um, it, you know, it, which is a little bit curious because uh, you know, big section of quality is also about continuous improvement. But when these inertial changes happen, like introducing something brand new. Um, brand new technology, which which may be building off of what you already have, but is really rather different. That's where the whole continuous improvement cycle sort of cycles its way off to the side. (laughs) And there there is, like you said, there's this fear of not wanting to deviate too much from what we're doing because we understand what we're doing right now and we don't want to change that.
0: Yeah. Right, and for that reason, those people would be great horse and buggy um, manufacturer, (laughs) quality control department people (laughs) because as near as I can tell, that technology hasn't grown too much over the years and, yes, there is uh, an ongoing need for horses and buggies, but if you're going to invest a good ton of money into a horse and buggy manufacturer versus perhaps an autonomous electric vehicle manufacturer, I know which one I'm going with. Um,
1: (laughs) The horse and buggy
0: because you're
1: quaint like that. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. I'm uh,
0: (laughs) resistant to change. One of my favorite examples of the quality sedentary inertia stereotype was working with a medical device company. And we're trying to come up with, we're trying to formalize specifications for an amazing new product. And we had the quality guys in there. And essentially what they did, whenever we came up with an idea for formalizing what our amazing new product was going to do, if they couldn't see how they could test for it, they said it can't be a requirement. And I went, hang on, are you trying to say that if we can't replicate this requirement in a testable way in your laboratory and that not only just in terms of can we physically do it, but do we have the time and money to do it? then it needs to be removed from our requirements list. And they were adamant, absolutely, you can't do that. It's a, and, and that's a cultural problem. You, you can't, you know, if, that, if these, in this case, gentlemen, and they were older gentlemen, it's, hard, it's difficult to see a scenario where they're going to all of a sudden get out of that particular mindset. But that, by definition, means that we can never innovate because yeah. the things we're looking at in these days uh, becoming increasingly sophisticated where the testing for it in terms of the very basic demonstration testing mindset is just not a thing anymore. And it's a cl- great example of sedentary inertia in the quality control space that is impacting what a design engineer can come up with.
1: Hmm. You know, I just, I, I read a book recently that kind of talked about the innovative space versus the Sustaining space, especially in Mm -hmm. a company, where yeah, if you have the horse and buggy, we'll keep going with with your example. Yeah, you have the horse and buggy part of the company, and they're cranking out buggies. Um, they are they are doing their thing, and there there are quality standards, and and they're doing doing the tests and everything. And they they are manufacturing to a standard, and they're generating the money for the company. Mm-hmm. And then you have the innovative side that wants to develop the electric car. So they're using some of the funds and stability from the part of the company that's generating the buggies, but they're it's a separate division that is innovating right. and looking at new ways to do things. So they are really separate worlds, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Or would you,
1: are you, uh, I guess, but we're also talking about the kind of innovation where we want to upgrade whatever they're doing in the horse and buggy area to something new and innovate that way. That's where more of the problems come into play, right?
0: And the problem with this conversation is that we need this wonderful thing called nuance because (laughs) you can't, say that you. Know, i think we're going to furiously agree you need to have a healthy dosage of each you need to have innovation you need to have perhaps a bunch of guys and girls in their own in their own building allowed to do whatever they want to try and pursue the the goals of tomorrow um and some other companies who do this well actually embed the concept of innovation within product development teams because each new generation of product needs to be better than the, than the last. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, no, there's no right or wrong answer. I'll tell you, well, actually change that. There are lots of right and there are lots of wrong answers. I was working with an organisation once where they had an innovation cell. That innovation cell was primarily there to make the leadership group comfortable about the concept of innovation because they didn't really want to innovate. And so this innovation cell had a relatively good budget and they were able to chase down pretty much anything they wanted to without any, um, any guidance or any, let's just say, interaction with the rest of the organisation. Okay. The problem with that is that they kept pursuing their favourite little pet hobbies and became completely irrelevant. And so the organisation was not innovative as a result.
1: Oh, there was nothing coming from the innovative side to develop into a a sellable product. Right. Hmm.
0: So it can go too far or you you can have the security blanket approach where you have something which is labelled innovation, but is it embedded into your sort of short to medium to long-term product development process if it's not? then all the leadership team are doing is essentially trying to convince themselves that they are innovative while they go back and crank out more horses and buggies.
1: Hmm. So there needs to be a transition point from the innovative side, no matter where it is into long-term production stuff. Um, and we were originally talking about the sedentary inertia and quality mm-hmm. and You know, going back to your example, you were coming up with innovative ideas and quality was pushing back because they didn't have the capability to test. And and it didn't matter if it was they didn't have the equipment or they didn't understand how to test it. It was just um, conceptually, you weren't allowed to have that requirement unless they could test it, right? Right. So how did...
0: So I was going to say, I've gathered because you've been involved in the medical device industry that uh, I think in, I'm guessing that in your bones you can just relate to how limiting that would be to <laughs> yes. design and development.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of um, new new things that could be done in the medical space, uh, but there's a lot of a lot of the proof of concept has to be done for obvious reasons um so what was new 10 years ago um for the commercial space is now new in the medical device industry today because because there's a delayed innovative development um with with proving out the safety and efficacy of of a new medical device to um to affect human life so the innovative part of new development and then the quality part of new development. What did what did your team do in the case of that example that you were giving that you wanted to develop requirements but you weren't being allowed to? What did you do?
0: Well, I was a consultant, so I was part of the process in terms of, This together, and I made recommendations per se. So I wasn't responsible for implementing these things. But um, again, I mean, there there are obviously cultural issues at play. Um, I think one of the easiest things a leader can do is actually take the time to try and describe the customer of the future. Um, And the customer of the future may want an increasing reliance on devices that can pair with and be utilized. By a smartphone, for example, a customer of the future might want that medical device to give you an output in less than 15 minutes, which then has some very clear design constraints. And if those are put up front by the leadership group, it can then short circuit what would otherwise be internal conversations, peer-to-peer, so to speak, between the quality guys and the design team.
1: Hmm. So relating it back to the customer. Right. This is what our customer needs and this is what, these are the kind of things we need to be able to provide in order to stay competitive.
0: Yeah. And um, essentially then uh, if that comes from the, the leadership team, um, that can really, really help what will otherwise be an enduring source of friction between two different parts of the same team. Um, and it also goes to show that, that I would suggest that that, that sedentary inertia uh, or stereotype we've been talking about, that usually is a symptom of an organization which just has a quality control group in that building over there so that we do quality control, but let them, to an extent, run a mark or not have it their own, not, not have their own direction or not be involved. Um, and that also usually means is that when if anything goes wrong, when it comes to quality, the quality control people, they're the ones who wear it. And you have this often this tense um, defensiveness, which you can very easily understand if you look at the the history of that culture and that organisation. So it it, Mm -hmm. it takes a while to turn that ship around, in my opinion, Um, but it usually means the leadership has been lacking in terms of the the direction of the team and the roles that each team member plays. My that'd be my take on it. Um, in the scenario we're talking about, they had to make a call. They had to make a call between. uh, I I said you in the short term, you just need to say, are we going to have as a leader, are you going to have requirements that can be tested for or not as part of quality control? Yes or no. Um, and that was an attempt to try and short circuit these never-ending arguments that were internal. So, if the quality control guys didn't like the Answer to that question from the boss, then essentially they had to deal with it um, because it was from the boss and not peers in the in the in the production process. So hmm. I don't know if that answers your question. But, um, um, it, 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 it wasn't it wasn't healthy, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, well, well, you talk about the greater organization and the responsibilities of some quality people for control for the manufacturing control to make sure that when. Things are shipped it's it's the it was made right um right so there there is that that viewpoint that needs to be addressed and understood when you're exploring new ideas um absolutely like, uh so you know we talked in the the previous episode about getting quality involved early and they can still quality people still have a good independent viewpoint of what's capable now. So in, in the case of this new innovative idea that they said, well, we can't test that, um, they could probably also have input on what would be needed to be able to test it. Well, we need Absolutely. to hire this outside source to be able to perform this test, or we need this kind of equipment. Um, and they could, uh, help design or, or cost out that kind of equipment instead of just, um, no, we can't do it. You know, what would it take Mm -hmm. to be able to do it? And they're definitely in a position that they could help define what that is. And that would in turn help leadership make a more informed decision.
0: And it comes back to, I think you touched on standards driven, um, quality guys and girls. And definitions of validation and verification are very demonstration specific. But when it comes to nuclear power plant reliability, for example, we don't test nuclear power plants to failure,
1: try and no. characterize
0: their reliability. <laughs> and But we would have clearly validated nuclear power plant reliability through a bunch of alternate. Uh, means as well, so it doesn't have to be demonstration. And I find that people who are who are wed to standards cannot accept that reality. Um, same reason we we don't test aircraft until they fail. it's we 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 know we try and understand how to make a, an aircraft that is reliable and can fly, and work out individual characteristics of each component that needs to be in play to ensure that happens. We test for fatigue cracks. Or sorry, defects that will lead to fatigue cracks and turbines of engines, as opposed to t- just testing engines until they fail to characterize their reliabilities. So all of that understanding what needs to happen for that thing to be high quality, for it to be high reliability, for it to work, and then we can examine those things. I use this as this uh, concept uh, that we call critical thinking, which can be a challenge for some, but um. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's lots of ways to skin the cat.
1: Well, in and, and like um, you know, if if you don't have if it's innovative enough, you may not have the internal expertise to be able to, right, understand or deal with it. Um, in which case, you can look outside, oh, like to some to someone like you, um, to well, to help um, to help a team work through that, or or to help them define or understand a different way of looking at this this new technology.
0: Well, and I suppose it comes back to the phrase I love using. Confidence is a measure of you. It's not a measure of the product. So how you gain confidence that your thing is going to work is up to you. If you want to test it until failure every single time, and that's the only way you'll get confidence, go for it. It'll take decades and lots of money. And by the time you've got the confidence you need to make a decision, the entire technology might be redundant, but um it's it's mm-hmm. a measure of you. And if you don't understand how your process or your or your product can work and more importantly fail, then you sort of revert to third-party standards. You revert to testing in use conditions where there's no perceived interpretations or or sub- subjective um uses of your product, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah, so I'm hearing you say that in order to get away from some of these standards or the need to cling to a standard is to better understand your product and to um, understand how it works and how it fails. And Mm -hmm. there's many ways that you can do that. I I like that phrase, that the confidence is about you.
0: Absolutely. It's a good one. It's not a measure of your system. But um, maybe that's the... Maybe that's that's the main message. It's a measure of use on a measure of your system. And there's lots of really cheap, really effective ways to generate confidence if you are willing to try and understand how your thing is going to fail or not be high quality or otherwise disappoint your customer.
1: Yeah, so there, those were a few things that we touched on um, is just uh, bringing it back to the customer, what the customer really needs or what they want. Um, understanding, um, what it's going to take to be confident in this new thing that you're looking at, um, where you may deviate from the standards, the way that you've always done things or the external standards, Um, Mm -hmm. and then looking at ways to understand how to, to test for that or whatever, whatever way that you need to be able to be confident Mm -hmm. in your product. Absolutely. Did I miss anything, Chris?
0: No, I just, I think it just comes down to, from at least from my perspective, just working out what you need to get confidence in your product working. And that helps fix a lot of sedentary inertia, which is, I think, the topic we started with for today's conversation.
1: Yes, it was. But, but that was a good wrap around and a good conclusion. Yeah. Well, if, um, any of you have any comments or if you have a story to share, or if you have another question about um either sedentary inertia in quality or reliability <laughs> or anything else, um, you can go to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR, short for speaking of reliability. Um, Fred and the team will will get your message and um someone will get back to you uh, with an answer. So I appreciate talking with you, Chris.
0: Likewise. And uh, I'll uh, be speaking to you sooner rather than later on another podcast, but no, it was a pleasure. We'll definitely have to do this again.
1: (laughs) Sounds great. I agree. Bye, Chris.
0: See you, Diana. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation. If you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes, or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.